Today's episode of the Hot Four podcast is proudly sponsored by Chris Malting Group. Stay tuned to hear more about their finest Maris Otter ale malt. I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hot Forward is a show entirely dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. You hear that? That's the sound of pouring liquid celebration. Yes, my friends. The Hot Four podcast is now the award-winning Hot Forward podcast. Come on, check it out. I genuinely did not see that coming at the SEBA Business Awards this year. I've been shortlisted for that award three times in total, with the third time being the time I finally won. And I was absolutely over the moon. So if you've lived under a rock and you don't follow me on social media at Hot Forward Beers, then you won't be aware that Hot Forward was the winner of the SEBA Business Award for the best independent craft beer promotion in 2023. So the judges said that they were hugely impressed by the breadth of information and knowledge being shared on this podcast and thought the execution was professional, engaging and entertaining. They particularly liked how brewery businesses themselves would benefit from listening with some great insights to offer. I'm pretty well chuffed, to be honest with you. So, um, yeah, huge, massive thanks to everyone that enjoys the podcast that's left a review that has downloaded it said kind words and all the rest of it yeah you know what can you say i celebrated hard after that you know it's been this year will be five years of running the hot four podcast i started it in 2018 in november i was really worried what people would think when i started it like i was a fraud you know that scene comes into my head from lord of the rings where Gollum's like, wait a minute, crumbs, secrets. You know, and uh, I just want to get my Gollum impression down. That's all that happened there. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so it's been an amazing journey to have taken since then. I know it's only a word. Someone said to me, it's not like you've won the Grammys or the BAFTAs or whatever. Yeah, I know. But at the end of the day, you know, I've worked fucking hard on this podcast and I've got to meet a load of great amazing people through the show so the beer i'm drinking to celebrate as you can imagine is also one of mine england's green and pleasant land a british hot ipa in fellowship with charles farham and um again very very happy with this beer i did a seminar at beer x with charles farham this is another story as well they asked me to brew this beer for it and i was gonna appear alongside some other brewers that use british hops to make their beers and then on the day i found out i was sat next to buxton brewery utopian and attic Bruco. and i'm there thinking what the hell am i doing here you know like like for me like buxton in particular like they were a brewery and still are that i really looked up to like the the whole emmanuel's brand 
was modelled on the original Buxton brand. And as for um, Utopian, you know, like they make some amazing lagers and Attic Bruco doing some fantastic things. So there's me with my little setup in my cellar where I'm sat now. Being on this panel with these amazing brewers, it was pretty comical, really. But um, it was great to be able to share that beer with people and share my love of British hops. Uh, it was just a good all-round event, really, as you can imagine, you know, having that and then winning the award and then being involved in various bits and pieces it was great. I couldn't recommend it enough. So as you can see, I'm totally made up about BRX. I'm waxing lyrical about it. I think it was my favourite one so far. Anyway, now that I've stopped blowing smoke at my own ass, and I am going to milk that for all it's worth, by the way, for the next however long. Maybe I'll never win another award. So I have to make the most of this one. But I'll put that aside for now in humility. And we'll focus on the task at hand, which is this week's episode of the Hot 4 podcast. So I'm sat here in my cellar, which is where I make my beers. And I remember seeing back in 2019, maybe just before the pandemic, someone doing something very similar from their cellar in Sheffield, not a million miles away from where I live. And the brewery in question was called Grizzly Grains. I was quite curious about this little outfit because it was very, very similar to mine. So I started to chat tentatively to the owner, Sam, over Twitter. And it didn't really go from there, to be honest with you, until I was sat in a local bakery and coffee house. And this chap walked in and he's talking to someone and he's talking about brewing and beer and the brewer's lectures and whatever else. And I thought, oh, another brewer. And then I cottoned on who it was. So I did a very British thing. I was like, excuse me, good sir. I hear you're talking about the brewing of beer beverages. And we hit it off from there and had a good chat. And it we basically took it from there and we started chatting more about brewing and so on and so forth. And then Sam invited me down to his tap room opening fairly recently. So I went down after an absolutely tragic day of DIY. I mean, it was fucking awful. Curtain rail was shit. <laughs> the paint mixed a different colour, so we had to do like four coats of this burgundy colour. The whole thing was like a complete utter shit show. So by the time I got to the tap room, it was like, beer me up. And we had a really, really good time. In the end, it was just me, him and Jay from Walkley Beer Co. Just shooting the breeze and chatting beer and life and all the rest of it. And eating these amazing sausage rolls. Absolutely incredible. As you'll hear on the show this week. I'll say no more. There are some people that you just want to get on your show. Really unassuming, really passionate about what they do and what they make. And that's what I think about Grizzly Grains. You know, I love Sam's beers. Sam's a really, really sound guy. And I thought, you know, I'll contact Sam, see if he'll come on the podcast and he agreed to it. So I went down with my recording gear to Highfields in Sheffield. And this is what we recorded. We talk about mead. We talk about fruit. We talk about brewing cast beer. We talk about, as you heard, sausage rolls. 
and just what it's like setting up a small independent brewery when you're a one-man band. I would genuinely love to connect Sam with some of our listeners that are running breweries out there. So if you're interested in doing a collab with Sam after hearing this, please do get in touch. You'll hear at the end of the show how to contact him. If not, you can contact me, nick at hotforward.beer, and I'll forward it on to him. But I would absolutely love people to get in touch with Sam and do some collabs because I love local independent brewers and I love people that focus on local ingredients. And Sam's just a really swell guy. And as you can hear, he pumped me full of sausage rolls. What can I say? (laughs) Uh, Anyway, before we go into all that, I want to talk about another unsung hero in beer, Maris Otter. I've been using Maris Otter in my beers from the word go. It imparts such a great flavour profile. Chris Malting Group have been absolutely fantastic to me as a brewer, right from the days of me working at Sheffield Brewery Company, even to now running hot forward. So I wanted to give some time and space for them to air their voice and to talk about the unsung hero of modern craft beer, which I believe is Maris Otter. So I spoke to Steve and Mike at Seba BRX in Liverpool this year to talk about Marisota and what it can do for you, your brew house and your beers. I'm here at Seba BRX and I'm joined by, well, I'll let you guys introduce yourself from Chris Moulton Group. So we've got... So I'm Mike Benson and I'm in the sales rep for Scotland, the West of England and Wales. And I'm Stephen Poitrin, I'm the COO at Crisp. Brilliant. Well, it's great to have you guys on the show this week. And I want to look at Maris Otter and the supply chain. So as we focus on Maris Otter, which I would say is the unsung hero in modern craft beer, what do you guys think makes Maris Otter so unique as a malt? The first thing that makes it unique is its flavour. It has a big flavour and, in my opinion, mouthfeel different to, to more modern malts. It's definitely a little bit more biscuity, but I think the mouthfeel is very much improved with the beers that use it. The next really, really unique point about Otter is how it processes through the brewery. because it, it quite simply makes the brew day easier. You know it's going to perform and you know that you're not going to get any haze problems and the beer's going to taste fantastic. Yep. Anything to add? Yeah, I think you've covered it all, really. <laughs> I mean, it is. It has always been an easy variety to malt. It always modifies well. It's highly friable, so it's got good meal characteristics, and that has carried through into the brew house. Yeah. If it's easy to malt, it's easy to brew with. Yeah. Well, I know I've used it in all my beers yep. for a long time now. Um, I mean, the, the first thing I... I was always sat on the fence as a brewer, around Maris, you, you heard so often that it was outperformed by modern varieties. But as you start to go around different breweries and you taste the beers and then you realise these are some of the best beers that you taste and all use Marisotta as a base, Yep, it, it tells you there's something about it. Yeah. One of the things I used to do at Sheffield Brewery Company when I worked there and we moved to Chris Malt, I'd open a bag of Marisotta and I'd stick my hand in and have a good, like, chew just of the raw malt. And it just the flavour, the nuttiness you get on that malt is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I suppose it's also worth mentioning, actually, that it, um, getting, a, getting a bit more technical, if you do the um, gelatinisation profile on it, you'll see that it's actually around the peak. It's not such a peak as modern varieties, 
So actually that means that if your temperatures aren't quite right in your mash, it's far more forgiving and you'll get a better conversion than you will do with a more modern variety yep. where you have to be much more spot on. Yeah. Uh, so hence, hence it sort of helps brewers who haven't got necessarily the great control that the bigger breweries have. Yeah. You also do extra pale Maris Otter, which I, I didn't realise until recently, actually. So uh, obviously apart from the colour to the standard variety, what's different about it and what processes does it go through to achieve those differences? So the, the extra pale is just generally it's going to be the big difference is going to be in the kilning profile. So rather than give it a blast of heat at the end to generate the Maillard reactions which are going to give you the colour, you kiln it much more gently to give you that low colour. And I suppose the knock-on effect on that is that uh, you're going to have slightly more enzyme levels because the enzymes are heat labile. So if you blast them with heat, your enzyme levels go down. One of the things about Marisota being old is that newer varieties have superseded it in terms of enzyme levels so maintaining those things is, is undoubtedly going to help the biggest thing for the brewer is the colors obviously difference the the flavor profile changes slightly as well it opens up to also become a fantastic lager malt and right. some oh, okay. excellent lagers brewed using marisotta extra pale as a base that's interesting i would never have thought to do that yeah and when was in the, um, had the privilege of being over in the US last year as well, and lagers are, are quite prevalent in a lot of the tap rooms, and they're, they're experimenting with different base malts to brew the lagers with, and Marisotta uh, Extra Pale is getting quite a nice following from that as well. Right. Are there any other beer styles that people could use Extra Pale Marisotta for? I mean, I would imagine it lends itself to, like, hazy IPAs and stuff like that. It's, it's everything from hazy IPAs all the way to... Best bitters, extra pails. Right. Um, yeah, it's 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 open to use on it, pretty much everything. If, if you go back in time, I mean, Marisotta was first came onto the scene in 1965, right? And it was pretty dominant. So therefore, every beer style of that day would have been brewed with Marisotta. Yep. You know, yeah, all right. Hazy IPAs weren't around then, but you know, all those other styles, the porters, the dark ales, the light ales, Miles, eventually yeah. even, you know, the lighter beers, they wouldn't necessarily have had lagers, but, you know, anybody brewing continental style. And actually, Marisotta was used for a lot of whiskey back in the day as well. Oh, really? So a lot, a lot of Marisotta got malted in England and taken up to Scotland for making making whiskey. So, so, it's, so been it's been used for everything. So what is the history of Marisotta? Well, as I say, it's been around since 1965. Right. It's a winter barley that first, I'm, I'm not sure what the parentage is of it, but, you know, it was one of these varieties that came through the testing system. Mm. Uh, allegedly got its name, it came from the Plant Breeding Institute in Cambridge, and all the varieties that came out of the Plant Breeding Institute in Cambridge were prefixed with Maris, because it was in Maris Lane in Cambridge. So you've got Maris Piper potatoes still around, uh, okay. and so that, yeah, that's yeah. where the, the Maris came from. And because it was a successful variety, it caught on and it's been going going strong. Well, I say going strong. It's been around without a break for that period of time. It did nearly disappear in the mid-80s before the craft brewing scene came along because it was being superseded by other varieties. And then two barley merchants came forward and bought the rights to it and just kept it going. 
and the trade built up from there and that's right. where that's why we end up where we are today yep. so it's thanks to Tony Bannum in Norfolk and Robin Appel in uh, in Butchie. Was was there any particular brewers because a, a lot of brewers probably walked away from it at that stage for looking at cheaper more modern varieties was there any that particularly backed it? Yeah I mean there was a demand for it but it was down to a matter of thousands of tons rather than tens of thousands yeah. of tons. Yep. So they were they were fans of it and then say the craft scene kicked off and it had a rejuvenation really. Mm. Just looking a little bit wider at I guess the brewing industry as a whole obviously we're in this cost of living crisis with rising inflation and you often hear brewers saying about oh my malt prices have gone up and so on and so forth but I often don't think brewers really appreciate the extra costs that the producers and the maltsters have got. So I'm, I'm just wondering how all that is affecting production for maltsters such as Crisp. The big problem that Marius Otter faces is its agronomic characteristics. The reason that varieties come and go is because the breeding programs from the seed breeders are advancing the varieties all the time. So you're seeing better disease resistance, you're seeing better yield to the farmer and the farmer is looking for return per hectare. And so to, if your yield is gonna be lower, and, you know, and these days it's significantly lower on Maris Otter, and we're talking about five tons a hectare, two tons an acre in old money, and you're now seeing varieties at three tons an acre, seven and a half tons a hectare. Mm. Um, you know, and that is revenue that the farmer needs to, to recoup if we want to keep it being grown we've got to pay him to compensate him for the loss in income yep over over growing a, a, a more modern variety yep so that's where the challenge really comes from for us as a maltster we're still going to incur the same cost we're still going to dry it store it steep it germinate it kiln it and so those costs are pretty similar yeah what other problems if any of maris also faced over the years i say i mean it, it was um, a decline in popularity because of the increased cost of production for the farmer against more modern varieties. Mm. You know, and as we know that the, the UK beer industry in general had struggles, you know, and we were down to, you know, not quite a handful of brewers, but yeah, we were down to 100 and something probably. And then, and then the craft business came along and, you know, and, and that's what rejuvenated it. Yeah. Does Marisota get used in, I mean, you talked about distilling, um, but does, does Marisota barley get used in other things like, you know, like Maltesers or that sort of thing? Or Not generally, right. um, but it, I mean, it has been used in whiskey still. And some of the, you know, so in the same way that craft brewing has taken off, craft distillers mm. are popping up everywhere and they're all looking for something different and bring different spirit characteristics. And Maris Otter does give a fantastic flavour in spirit. Yeah. So with, with the increase in dry summers and sporadic and extreme weather conditions, I don't know if you guys had snow over this last week. Yeah. Yeah. In, in Sheffield, we were just absolutely bombarded with it. How has this affected the farmers you work with and what is the impact on brands like Maris Otter? Maris Otter doesn't seem to have fared necessarily any worse than any other more modern variety. Right. But the, you know, the challenges are for the seed breeders really going forward to create varieties, come up with varieties that are going to be more drought tolerant, potentially, you know, if the climate is going to carry on going the way mm. people predict it's going to go. You know, we are 
they've got to be more heat tolerant and and more drought tolerant um but yeah they've undoubtedly been through a lot of extremes in the past few years but i say marisol hasn't generally fared any worse than any other variety are there any special steps that farmers or maltsters take when it comes to making those plants more resistant to certain things and how do they do it i don't think the farmers and maltsters can predict what the weather's going to be right yeah I mean, that, that would be the great thing you know <laughs> if, if if every farmer could have a crystal ball or or the benefit of hindsight then you know life would be easy wouldn't it because you know you're going to treat the crop as if you're going to get an average year mm. you don't know when that drought may happen when that hot spell may happen or or when that deluge may happen so you can't really you've just got to carry on and believe that it's going to be an average year yeah yeah and where do you see the future of Maris Otter going? Um, like, if you were to make a case for Maris Otter in, like, 60 seconds, what would the case for brewers still supporting it and using it be? Flavour. Flavour and, and an ease of use still. Uh, but flavour is key. Um, we, we're, brewers are looking for everywhere. They look everywhere for flavours these days. And you've got this wonderful product that's there and offers offers an amazing flavour, an amazing mouthfeel there with everything else that you need from a base malt. All modern varieties are moving away, whatever the modern varieties these days are just after uh, yield in the farm and, and yield for the for the seven million hectolitre brewer. They're not interested in any kind of flavour whatsoever. So flavour, flavour, flavour for me. Can't go wrong with flavour. Well, it's been great to have you guys on the podcast this week. How can people talk to their local rep how can they find out more about marisotta and chris malt first step come to the website chrismalt.com and there's contact details on there and there's also the full product range is listed out on there and then you know contact the reps from there yeah the website's the best way to, to get all of our details uh, nigel's looking after the south stuart's looking after the east side and, and myself for scotland wales and the west of england and you know what if you see us at any events come over and say hello internationally again the website colin the sales director will look after most of the world and i will look after certain parts of, of europe as well so main thing there is find colin's details and, and we'll get it directed to the right person amazing chrismalt.com absolutely <laughs> So if Maris Otter sounds like the kind of malt you want to use in your beers, make sure you go to chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. Before we crack open today's episode of the Hot 4 podcast with Sam from Grizzly Grains Brewing in Sheffield, I want to take a moment to share the new Hot Forward website. It's been a long time coming. I've alluded to it on the podcast for a few weeks now, but a long last I can finally showcase what Hot Forward does to the world. If you head to hotforward.beer, you'll be able to listen to the whole back catalogue of our podcasts, check out some articles that are going to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business, and then look at some of the work we have done for other brewers and businesses within the brewing supply chain. Not only that, but if you're feeling like, hey, 
we're a bit stuck with our marketing or our branding or our sales or whatever it is, then you can go to the website and book a free 30-minute consultation with myself to diagnose your issue and look at some solutions. So make sure you head to hotforward.be to find out more. This show is only made possible by our supplier sponsors who support this podcast on a regular basis and offer support and insights to all our listeners within the craft beer industry, whatever your need. This week's episode of the Hot Form Podcast is proudly sponsored by Chris Malton Group. Chris Malt have lived and breathed malting since 1870. With their passion and expertise, they produce and supply the finest UK malt to the brewing and distilling industry across the globe. Their finest Maris Otter Ale Malt is prized all over the world for the incredibly rich and Moorish ales it helps to create. It's always flavorful, easy to brew with, and returns the characteristic malt body that has made it famous for over 50 years of barley cultivation. Make sure you chat to your local Chris representative by getting in touch with them at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You can find out more about Hot Forward and the work we do within the industry at our website, hotforward.beer, or follow us on social media at hotforwardbeers. And if you really wanted to go the extra mile, you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify with what you think about this podcast. For now, let's crack open this week's discussion. Um, I need to send you off with some sausage rolls. I would not say no. (laughs) (laughs) See, the last time I came, I confessed to uh, my wife. I was like, I had about five sausage rolls last night. She was like, they're really bad for you. I'm like, I know, but they were so tasty. These, these are great. There's there's two lamb ones, which are like Donica bad flavour, and then oh, some pork ones, which have got um, like a bit of chilli and like pepper and stuff in. Please, sausage roll me up, mate. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I ate quite a lot yesterday. <laughs> cool. Well, on that note, I'm here at Grizzly Grains with Sam Bennett's in Sheffield. What area of Sheffield is this? We, that's a good question. Um, we're in S2, so we're only 10 minutes from the train station, but we're not quite classed as the, the city centre. I right. think technically we're in Highfield. Okay, round the corner from Bramall Lane. Yeah, so. yeah, four minutes from Bramall Lane is what I've got on my right. publicity. So how far is Triple Point from Bramall Lane is the question. I don't know. I was going to work it out and then publicise that I was Sheffield's as <laughs> the nearest brewery <laughs> tap to Bramall Lane and see, if, see how quickly George took to... Uh, t- yeah, <laughs> to, to talk to me. Um, Pistols at dawn. <laughs> yeah, I think we're probably about we're about equal. I think really because right. they're like in a slightly different position. But yeah, we're very very close to triple point. Yeah. So ju- just for the benefit of our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about Grizzly Grains? Um, so uh, Grizzly Grains is a very small brewery. We're predominantly cask led. We started at the the very beginning of twenty twenty. Uh, the first beer came out in January, right? And then, then everything Impeccable went. time. Then everything went went spectacularly wrong. Um, prior to that, I was uh, I worked at Healy City Farm, um, and then during the setup of the brewery, I was working as a uh, beekeeper. Right. Oh wow! Because your dad keeps bees. That's because when I came down, he was talking about that. Is he? Is he that his main? T- that's what he does tend to do is, is right. just talk people's ears off about about bees. Right. Um, <laughs> 
But was we, that his main profession? No. Oh, right, okay. No, so we I mean, both we started keeping bees at the same time, but sort of separately. Yeah. Five years ago or so, I suppose, we both started keeping bees. So I, I have my own bees at, at home. I do. As, as well as having sort of worked uh, semi-commercially uh, with, with bees as well. Right. Um, and... Uh, and then that the, that beekeeping and and sort of uh, access to honey more than anything has sort of led into some of the some of the bits and pieces I've done in the in the brewery and then and then with the with the mead. That mead you served, um, I can't even remember when it was. I came was it last week or the week before? It was during half term, wasn't it? When was half term? It's like two two weeks ago. Right, okay, it seems like an age ago now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that mead was fantastic. Yeah. So we we've started Sheffield Mead as a uh, as as an uh, an add-on brand to the to the brewery, which I'm trying to keep it, I suppose to steal from like the the wine world, trying to keep it as a, a as low intervention mead. Um, they tend to be cloudy because they uh, are refermented in the bottle to to carbonate them. Um, I don't. I use very raw, very untreated. Um, honey from Sheffield and, and the Peak District. Right. So it it's not been it's not been heat treated. It's been essentially cold extracted. It's never been warmed above twenty five degrees, um, and it gets pitched into the into the water for the mead, completely raw. Um, we do add yeast be, just because of I have done it. We have done some that's spontaneously fermented. Oh right. Okay. Uh, all honey has yeast in it and if it's not been heat treated the the yeast is still alive oh wow so we will do some more spontaneously fermented meads but they take around nine months to ferment right. out which uh when you're trying to bring a product out is a long time it's the first one that takes an awful lot more forward planning than yeah yeah than i was able to to do so there will be one in the pipeline but um we use a, a white wine yeast uh, which has a slight fruity character which which goes quite well with the with the sort of spice flavors you get out of the heather honey which most of the first meads have have been right so how do you make mead like is it just a, 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 a is it just taking honey and boiling water and mixing it and pitching yeast or do, yes. is there more to it no, oh that's, that's it that's literally right. that's literally it. i mean compared to making beer it it's incredibly simple yeah. i mean to make a batch <laughs> of beer it takes it takes all day just just to get it in the fermenter but um once I've got the honey and I've got everything, I've got like fermenter space to to make it and actually mix it together. You're only talking a couple of hours max, and, right? And that's doing it slowly and and, yep. and carefully. And I would imagine if you own bees like you do, obviously you've got a, a source of infinite honey, so to speak. Well, maybe well, not almost infinite, infinite, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Depends how hard you make, how how much encouragement you give to the bees. Yeah. <laughs> but um you know like if for people out there that maybe want to like brew a mead as part of their own brewery or to offer other you know beverages um it could be quite expensive can't it buying very very expensive and, and with everything the price has, has gone up a bit in the last the last couple of years and it's it it's a product that really suffers from a lack of um appreciation uh, especially in in britain we're, we're all um, conned by how much supermarket honey costs and then when you look at the price of British honey it's a lot more expensive 
Um, so that supermarket is just like a blend of e- e- EU honeys, isn't it? Or it, non, non it's, sorry, it's EU te- and non-EU. Yeah, honeys. it tends to be, yeah, <laughs> from who knows where. I mean, what the big companies will do, they'll be buying in huge quantities of honey from, from all over the place, and then it will go to a big warehouse and they'll blend it back, they'll blend it together. They'll have people that are tasting it and then blending it in huge quantities to get that uniformity. So what you buy in a jar always tastes the exactly same. The same. So they're buying in all sorts of different varieties of honey and they're, they're, they're re-blending it together. Yeah. Of which, and then because it comes from all over the place, the, the, the price is a lot cheaper. Yeah. I remember there was a beer, well, I still make it actually, uh, called Ale Mary. It's like a spiced barley wine. Um, but when I was at Sheffield Brewery, I made a, a scaled down version. So I took half of Crucible Best, which is our best bitter, um, which is like 3.8%, cast it off into the one fermenter, stopped the transfer halfway through, then added like those of different spices and stuff. And I'd, I'd bought a, um, a five kilo tub of heather honey and it was over hundred quid. And I remember yeah. being like, how much? <laughs> but the taste on it was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, heather, heather honey per kilo is... I think the the cheapest you, if you if you're trying to buy it, um, you're probably looking at, at even if you're buying in big big bulk quantities, maybe fifteen pound a kilo, um, and like a, a small test brew of of mead for my stronger mead is probably using five kilos in thirty liters, mm. which there's a lot of honey in yeah in each bottle, so it is. Once you add on the labour and then the level of tax that mead is is taxed, it, it becomes quite an expensive right. product. So the, having access to your own honey or a beekeeper is is really the the only the only way, unless you are going to just buy in honey from from who knows where. But that was, yeah. that wasn't that doesn't keep in with the other things that we do in the in the brewery. So mm. the aim was always to have it with Sheffield honey in it. Um, we might do the odd one where the honeys come from a, di- a different part of the, the country, but it would always be UK honey. Just I think for me, Providence is really important, whether or not that's the whole market for the mead mm. thinks the same. But it's nice to have some some lines in the sand. Almost these are the things that we that we do in the brewery so mm. so our saisons which are, are more often than not fruited all the fruit is um ideally sheffield grown uh, but if not sheffield grown it's uk grown um organic or, or grown organically uh, if i know the the farm on which it's which it's been grown it arrives at the brewery whole unfrozen and then we we process it here and, yeah. it, and it goes into the beer so no fruit purees no extracts no flavourings. Um, we don't use any of the like incognito hot products. It's all it's either T ninety or or Holcomb yeah. in, in all the beers. And just I think it was quite nice when I was starting out to just make some decisions like that and just frame what what we were doing a little bit. And I, th- I think that's worked really well with the with the small batch saisons that we that we do. Mm. And um, so when we brew them there, the fruit is is in season at the point of brew day which means that when you drink it like six weeks later or <clears throat> sometimes longer if it's a bit of a if it's a daft beer um the 
you're drinking the fruit out of season then, but when I made it, that it was probably picked like two days before. Right. Um, it's it's going into uh, into the beer. So we've got a got a pear saison in the pipeline for next week, which is using organic French cooking pears grown in the Moss Valley of Sheffield, right. which is S eight. So I think. As the crow flies from the brewery, it's maybe four miles. Yeah, it's not far, is it? No, no, it's really, it's really close. And Hugh and the team, uh, organic growers, are, are really great. Really interested in in seeing some of their um, less lucrative produce. I mean, there's not a huge market in Sheffield for organic cooking pears. <laughs> so, but they, but they've got the trees on the site, and and they're there, and they crop and. It's, it's nice to be able to go and use them. And um, last time we used the pears, it was me that picked them and, and, and brought them back to the, back to the brewery. So the, these pears were actually, this time around, were picked last November. And then with pears, you always ripen them off the tree. So they're now, they've been in storage since November and they're now at sort of peak ripeness. Right. So the flavor that then comes through in the, in the beer should, should be quite special. Nice. I mean, b- before we start talking more about beer, um, and this might be a nice little segue to talk about fruit and mead, um, whenever we go, we, as my family, I mean, go on holiday to um, Northumberland, we often go to the Holy Island. Yeah. And they've got, obviously, mead on there. That's a big mead-type thing, you know, yes. place. Um, but the mead I tasted here far outstripped that mead, which was cl- crystal clear. Um, so I, I guess my, I have two questions. The first being, like, how do they do the fruit meads, or how does one do a fruit mead? And secondly, I, I'm just gauging from the reaction when I'm bringing that up. This, this, sort of, I'm guessing your response might be oh, might be something about commercialisation of mead, but I'll I, leave that over to you to I, uh, pass comment. I I have been to Holy <laughs> Island when we went on holiday to Northumberland and I um, said, right, I want to go to Holy Island, partially because I wanted to drive across the causeway because I thought it would be I thought it would be a good laugh. Yep. I enjoyed that bit. But then I didn't necessarily enjoy the mead bit of Holy Island because it was like, we were there, there's, there's no sign of any hives anywhere. Mm. And there's not really a lot grows on Holy Island for bees to forage on. Yep. So it was like, well, obviously the honey is not coming from Holy Island. The meadery isn't on Holy Island. Um, so effectively, it's a Martin ploy. <laughs> um, and yeah, the mead is very sweet. Which, so to make a sweet mead, you are there's two ways. You either, well, I don't know. I'm sure people will correct correct me. I'm not all those I'm, mead listeners listening yeah, right now. <laughs> mead, I'm, mead brewers. Sorry. I'm, I'm definitely not I'm an authority on mead. Um, <laughs> so. As far as I'm aware, there's two ways you could make a sweet mead. One is that you uh, essentially make the mead so strong that that the alcohol kills off the yeast and it stops fermenting, and then whatever sugar's left is yep. is made. But then you're talking like 18%, which that there's definitely a, a case for. Um, that's something we'll we'll look at doing is a is a big, really big sweet sort of dessert winey style mead, yep. which which I have made before, and, and there's they're very enjoyable. Or you, um, or you sterilise the mead after it's, you, you ferment it to whatever alcohol you want. You mm. sterilise it, kill off all the yeast, and then you back sweeten it with extra honey, and you get a sweet mead. But that's not really 
sort of the sort of thing I want to do. So my meads are fermented completely dry um, with the view that we're using really high quality flavorful honey that isn't really pale. So you, you do get flavor in through it. Mm. Um, I want to brew some lower ABV meads the problem with those is they've got a lot less honey in, so they've got a lot less flavour. And I think there's there's a scope for doing fruited, fruited lower ABV meads, which, I mean, you said, how do you make a fruited mead? I mean, the way I would make a fruited mead is just by chucking all the fruit right. in during fermentation. And um, I don't mind a bit of wild yeast in there to to do its thing and add some different flavours in. Um, I don't know how people are making fruited meads sort of commercially. I, I mean, I've got ideas from from brewing and, and stuff of how it's probably yep. done with fruit purees going in like at the end of ferment and the, the product being sterilised mm. so it's not live anymore. But again, all, all of our beers are either cask conditioned, bottle conditioned or keg conditioned, they're all real ale. <laughs> With their inverted commas. But they're, they're all they're all done in the proper way and I wanted the meads to be exactly the same. So it's right. recondi it's refermented in the bottle. It's all it's a live product. Um because the honey's not heat treated, all of the all of those enzymes and things that uh, give honey its antimicrobial properties, they are still alive unless the alcohol sort of denatured them yep. uh, in, in, the, in the finished mead as, as well. Yeah. Um, before we look at the history of grizzly grains and, and start talking about brewing, um, there's one more thing that I want to ask about fruits and I guess just picking up between the lines in our conversations because we've talked so far uh, um, a lot about, I suppose, providence is maybe the, the word or yeah. terra or whatever. Um do you find uh, just this this stems from some of the conversations we've had both before hit record and when i've seen you out and about in various places about that and taps like do you find it given that you're putting this like freshly grown fruit in from lo locally produced etc etc in into your beers do, do, like how do you feel that when you go on and taps if you see like a fruit something you've made and someone's like well, it's not as fruity as you know name you know x y z hype brewery sour where they are probably using purees and stuff like how does that make you feel um i'm not i don't know i'm not really bothered to up to a point i mean i i know that there are people that enjoy and they like where the fruits come from but yeah it's i think it's a bit like with certain uh, styles of beer as soon as you put like um so i did a uh, a summer berry saison and it had got uh, raspberries, red currants and tayberries in it big quantities mm. of, of fruit um, added in during fermentation sort of it had been um, they have been pulverised in a in a bucket so that, that they, were, they were a big sort of glorious fruity <laughs> fruity mess um, and we put all that in the in the fermenter and the, the colour that came that the beer came out was was phenomenal mm. 
But because it's then fermented on a Saison yeast, I've not added it in post-fermentation or, or anything like that, that all the sugar is, is gone. And um, so it's never going to be a, as fruity as, as other beers yep. are. Um, but as soon as you've put that it's got like, yeah, raspberries and, and all this red fruit in, people expect it to be this, this big, <laughs> super fruity, sweet beer. Mm. And, it, and, it, and it absolutely isn't. And I'm quite happy with, with the way it turns out. And I think there's a place for big, fruity, sweet things. And there's, there's a place for, the, for what, we're, what we're doing, which yeah. is different, more, more farmhouse yeah cool well let's talk about the history of grizzly grains um so just take us right back to the beginning because you started in a similar place i started too yeah i started underneath my house um come on <laughs> yeah in my in my little cellar um i got offered so i've, I've homebrewed for a, a very long time something like 17 or 18 years um, in various ways. I mean, starting out like with tins in a in a plastic bucket, and then yep. realizing the error of my ways and brewing it, <laughs> brewing it properly in the kitchen. And then I was offered um, a, a essentially a, a pilot kit or a massive homebrew kit, whichever way you look at it, which is still our pilot kit and still gets used for the the party bar things mm. and the small batch stuff and so I was I was offered that it was actually what Mark from Crossbow Alemakers started right. using um, and it was just sat in his shed not doing anything so I was like yeah because he, he didn't want a lot of money for it so I, I thought oh yeah cool we'll give we'll give this a go and um, I'd always been I think at that at that point I mean I'd always drank cask beer it was what I was sort of brought up drinking and, mm. and I'd started to discover craft and some of the more modern things and Belgian things and um, that, that were out there I mean a lot later than most people than most people in the beer industry probably more into beer for longer than than I was um, so I thought oh, I, I give this a go like, I, I can make beer and my sense, the sensible thought was, we'll start on this tiny kit. We'll see if we can get it registered for HMRC. I'm not looking to make any money. I just, I want to see if I can make beer that people will buy. Um, so that was summer 2019. So then I got my HMRC registration for the kit set up in the cellar um, under the under the house um, in like I think that. The October, November, and then the first beer um, was was in the January, which went to Walkley Beer Co. Who um, have been, I think, if it wasn't for um, Nick and Kit, because uh, it was Nick who now runs Pangolin at the time, it was at Beer Co. I think if it wasn't for them taking the first punt on the beers, I probably wouldn't. We probably wouldn't now be sat in my actual brewery yeah well um, kit was my first customer as well yeah. walkley beer co so yes yeah, got a lot to answer for <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so yeah so the first the first beer then went it was like a pin of i mean <laughs> it was uh it was a pioneer uk pioneer hopped pale ale and i mean 
it's never been brewed again, which probably says something about <laughs> how, how good it was. Um, and they, yeah, they took it and had it on the bar and, and it sold and, and people liked it. They liked that it was like local and, and, it, and it went well. So yeah, so I, I brewed more. And then, and then obviously the pandemic hit. So I switched to doing uh, like bag in a box home deliveries. So I was still uh, brewing and casking it. And then I'd take all the orders for like bag in a box, um, fill the bag in the boxes from the cask and, right. and then drive around deliv- delivering them through through that sort of first, first bit of, of lockdown. And then, and then I switched to bottling everything and I think when I switched to bottling everything the beers had sort of improved a bit um, and then sort of towards the end of the year um, things were things sort of on my mind so fuzzy about we had a small sort of, uh, her, our daughter was four so like she was starting school and and we'd had like the whole summer of trying to work and because I was working full time and my partner was working full so yeah it was just bonkers um, <clears throat> and then things started to open up again so I, I got back into doing um, cask um, and started doing the first little bit of stuff in, in keg so at the end of 2020 and that at that point Mark at Crossbow Lailmakers was um, sort of had enough and wanted to um, get rid of his get rid of his kit. So that he's on the kit that we see here now, wasn't he? Yeah. Like, yeah. This, what's this like? Five, four barrel, five barrel, five. If right. if uh, I can get five out of it, right. but it's a bit. If it's a bit of a vigorous ferment, it's a bit exciting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so he he he. Um, he was looking to get rid of it, and and I was like, I thought things were going quite well with the with the with the beers. I mean, a lot of the beers I was brewing then don't really get rebrewed now. I think mm. that, that over the last what are we now twenty twenty three. So yeah, over the last three years, I I think the beers have have improved quite a lot. Yeah. Um, which is, I think that I mean that's that's what you want. It's better than getting worse over the last yeah. two years. Um, I think some people were def- definitely got a uh, a view of of grizzly grains in that beginning period of like just it's big it's big homebrew and um, I think now the quality is 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 much much better. So I think if anybody if anybody's listening that was put off in the first year and a half, uh, just come down to the brewery and and I'll give you something that's that tastes nice now. I, see I just want to put a bit in this for a moment because I think it's quite difficult if you've um, if you're a local brewer that has, has gone a, a similar journey to both you and I which a lot of people do to be honest with you that's, yeah. that's generally the you know if you think of people like Double Barrels down in Reading is that where they're based? Yes, I, that, I, I should know because um, we were at Brewers Journal uh, the other week and, and Lucy, Lucy was, was talking yeah, yeah. at it. I've, I can't. They're, they're in that neck of the woods, but I know they started in their garage in, in a similar yeah, vein yeah. to the way that we started. But um, I, I know from some of the um, early-ish days, particularly when I was at Sheffield Brewery and I was subjected to their kit, <laughs> I, shall, <laughs> I shall say no more about that experience, where some of those beers didn't quite turn out like I wanted 
Um, but, you know, I, I was spending, effectively spending their money on my brand, so I, I felt kind of obliged to put them out. And there were the odd batches that I did dump, but for, there were some against my better judgment that I put out. You know, I remember, like, getting slammed by some people, like, oh, this is terrible, you know, Emmanuel's is shit. <laughs> and there was one I saw recently where... Um, this sounds, it's going to sound incredibly narcissistic, but I'd like, I Google like Emmanuel's reviews and somebody who'd written like, who's got like a, a beer review blog, um, who I remember who'd reviewed something from way back when and had really slammed it. He'd reviewed uh, my Saison, which I brewed, I think it was probably a couple of years ago now. It might have been last year, I can't remember. Um, but it was it was this saison that tasted really good and sold really well, and they were amazed. Were like, oh, I can't believe this is Emmanuel's. I saw it again. I thought they'd like gone out of business or something. Bought it, and it's like this is this is really like incredible stuff, you know. And I think it can if it can be really hard if people have one experience of your beer, mm. you know, um, and it's and it's for whatever reason it's it's not the best. And they just sort of totally write it off. And another example I'll give is um, I was talking to my wife the other night about the Smiths. I know the Smiths are very much a you love them or hate them. Uh, just for the record, I think Morris is a real twat. Um, but Johnny Marr <laughs> kind of makes up for it. So, um, and I remember my, at school, my friend Dan, um, this, we're going back to the 90s now, and he, he was banging on about, we were both into Oasis, and he was like, oh, I should get into the Smiths. And he was like, listen to this song, and he put on half a person, and it's like, it's probably the worst Smith song there is. And then I was like, the Smiths are shit, Dan. Like, why are you into this fucking awful? And then I heard them, like, a few years down the road, like, you know, the classics. I was like, the Smiths are fucking great. Like, why don't you play me Heaven Knows and Miserable Now or something instead? <laughs> but anyway, and it can be a little bit like that with beer, I find. And... Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think um, I, there's, there's aspects of the, of, of the beer world that are quite, like, pretty harsh. Yeah. But, the, but then... I think to an extent that you need to be a bit there's a lot of breweries and a lot of breweries making really good beer and i mean especially in sheffield there's a lot of great beer brewed mm. so i mean i've always thought well if i'm not if i'm not brewing anything if it's not good enough then then yeah why would anybody buy it because there's there's a lot of other beer yeah out there so it was definitely in that first year and a half <clears throat> trying to find um, the niche and sort of work out what it where Grizzly Grains is, is going to fit I mean there was there were certain things like the Saisons which were there from the from the beginning of something that I enjoyed brewing and wanted to to make and and in my naivety at the beginning it was definitely like oh I'm going to I'm going to start a brewery I'm going to I'm going to put beer into kegs and <laughs> that's definitely not what's what's happened and I'm I'm very happy that now we are like an 80% cask brewery, which mm. I absolutely love. I love drinking cask beer. I, I love making it. I, I think it's, I think it's brilliant. And and we're very lucky in Sheffield that there are so many pubs that are still really cask led. Yeah. Um. So I, I'm I'm very happy that that sort of yeah, our main our main output is is now um, cask. Yeah. Well, I, I want to come on to that, and I also want to come on to your uh, Big Dimples session, Mild in Keg. So <laughs> anyone out there that's like, ooh, dark mild and stuff, yeah, 
well, this one's in keg. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, just to really make... And we did it before Brewdog came out and decided that they were going to put dark beer into, into keg. We've been making mild for, for ages. There you go. See, put that in your <laughs> pipe and smoke it, listeners. Um, <laughs> but I just want to touch upon the brew kit. And so Mark had all this in his garage, right? How- yes, it was. Uh, yeah. How big uh, was his house? Like, how big is his house? So he had like- a double garage. <laughs> Um, I'm facing the wrong way. I'll turn around so I can actually see my own brew kit. Um, so he had a double garage, which I can't remember how wide. I think I think so. My brew floor that the kit sits on is yeah. is like six meters by three and a half, and I think Mark's garage is roughly the same size, but. He had everything. Yeah, I was going to say all of it would have so been contained. In on here. that floor, all I've got are the tanks, basically, and other bits and pieces. Right. But he had he had everything: pallets of cans, well, a pallet of cans, um, malt. How was he canning it? Oh, sending it off. Oh, right, okay. To to in a in an Arlington and, and having it uh, having it canned. I because I know where he lives. I bet that was a sight. On the main, well, I say the main road. It's a residential area, um, but I bet that was a site, you know, like, um, you know, because it's opposite the schools, isn't it? <laughs> like all these yeah. parents being like, "What the, f- what the hell's going on here?" You know, he's there yeah. with his his Arlington <laughs> from his house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was amazing that he had it all all fitting fitting in there. Um, yeah, and I, I went and brewed with him uh, prior to agreeing to to buy the kit, but I mean, I didn't know anything, so. Um, I was like, yes, massive. This is amazing. Um, obviously, it's not massive in the grand scheme of uh, yeah. of breweries. It's very, very small. Uh, I, I enjoyed going to... Uh, went to the Black Sheep uh, last year. Oh, yeah. Um, and we did the brewery tour, and they were talking about their dinky little... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> ...pilot kits. And I was like, it's bigger than my brewery. <laughs> Isn't it like ten or fifteen heck or something? It's it's five or six right. barrel. Um, I think they said, and because I mean they're like actual breweries, like a hundred or two hundred. It's like, huge, barrel, isn't it? Yeah. So they were sort of like, sort of joking about it being like a kids, like the kids size brewery. And it's bigger than it's bigger than my brewery. That's similar to the one at Roosters. Like you go, right. to, you know, it's, they've got this really nice pilot kit, which I think is somewhere between ten and. 15 heck I'm like that looks like a really awesome brewery for any brewer <laughs> I mean I, I, remember, I think it, maybe it's vocation their like yeast like cropping facility is bigger than the, this brewery <laughs> right. and that's just for making the yeast <laughs> so yeah I mean we're, we're I'm well aware we're, we're like the smaller the smaller end of the of, of, of the brewing world but I mean there's there's space for place for all of us um yeah so yeah mark had it in his in his garage it was very it was very sort of tight in there but but it it was set up and it worked single phase i presume um he had it on single phase um but i i've changed sort of the so it's electric i've changed it the elements and the right. and the wiring and everything so it is it's three three phase yeah. now so because he, he he had a very long it was a, it took ages for it to heat all the water i can imagine yeah um so 
it's <clears throat> it's quite I, I don't know when it was made um but it, it was at white rose prior to mark having it um and i think when mark bought it it wasn't it hadn't been used i think it had been sat for a bit yep um so it's quite an old kit it's it's got like all all the kits it's got its own intricacies so i mean my mash tun is pretty big for the kit which is quite nice yep um it gives quite a lot of scope for doing sort of particle uh, beers and um and stronger stuff but the hlt is far too small so that lends sort of yeah it, it's issues on brew day so it tends to have to heat up a bit of extra water in the kettle um, and then transfer it after the mash and then then you're waiting while the mash is on for for the water to get up to temperature for sparge I'm really resisting the urge to pass comment <laughs> on the manufacturer of said <laughs> kits. I shall leave. I shall leave my public comments at that. Yeah. So yeah, but I mean, but, but it works, and um, occasionally it needs bits like welding. But yeah, I, it, it's quite. I don't know. Part of me quite enjoys having a slightly like um, Heath Robinsony bit of kit. I mean, I had a, a photographer who'd in the other day who'd been he'd spent a brew day with heist and heist right. have got a lovely kit really nice brewery and then he came here and there was one bit of the day where i was like struggling to tighten like a jubilee clip with a massive <laughs> pair of pliers and it was a sort of i think a bit of a, a bit different to perhaps some some nicer breweries yeah it's you know having, having visited lots of different breweries it's um there's a it's a whole world yeah you yeah. know I can't help but look at some of those vessels and think of either that um, smash mashed potato advert uh, from the eighties, or um, or Space Oddity by David Bowie. Yeah, I mean they're very um, yeah, or the sort of I mean the 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 HLT and the fermenter look an awful lot like what you um, go deep sea diving in in like the nineteen fifties, yeah, like totally. to the bottom of the sea, it's, it's or top. looking for Loch Ness monsters. Yeah, like they're, they're very. It's almost like an iron lung, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, they're a bit, they're a bit interesting. So, ha, ha, what what was it like when you, you you offered to buy this kit, and then you like just talk us through the process of them getting it in here and and finding the space and all the rest of it? I, again, through my own research, trying to find a space in Sheffield, particularly when you're not a massive brewery, and you know it's not like you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth or anything. Like you know, it's um it's tough. Yeah, it was because we were looking. For the space at the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021 it was really hard to find somewhere because of covid and right also just because of the size of space i mean originally i wanted somewhere a lot smaller than, than what we're what we're in um it was really hard to find anywhere suitable mm. um i got let down on on a unit that was as far away as we are from Bramall Lane, this was as far away from the Sheffield Wednesday ground. Right. Um, and that that fell through. And then, yeah, it was, it was really hard finding a small industrial unit space. Then we found it, and because of where we are, um, it's more expensive than being in, say, the other end of Attercliffe. Yeah. But then the flip side of that is that I probably couldn't have the tap room that we've that we've just put in um, if we were 
in the middle of Attercliffe somewhere because who would who would come? Um, so I'm quite happy with where we are now. We're very central. It's really easy to get out and do my like deliveries mm. um, to because I, I mean I, I deliver sort of down to Kellam Island and um, places like on the edge of the, the city centre a lot and. So doing that delivery is really easy because I'm I'm practically already there. I mean, I delivered to the clubhouse on London Road, and it, right. I mean, you could practically roll the barrel there. Yeah, from yeah. Here. <laughs> um, really, really close. Um, so that's 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 nice being this close to centre. But yeah, it is then it, we are paying a bit of a premium for 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 where where we are. Yeah. Um, but it seems to be working at the uh, at the moment. So then we moved in in. Uh, the end of March 21 um, and I think because of waiting for like um, HMRC changeover and and I mean we were originally supposed to move in in January then that got pushed back to the March and then we had to wait for HMRC paperwork to come through and install the the brew floor and get the kit white and all of that I think in the end we ended up brewing the first beer in the July so it was quite a long process of getting mm. getting everything in um, and then yeah brewed a single hop Eldorado pale was the first beer um, which which was in hindsight all right probably not as not as good as if I brewed it now yep um, I also dry <laughs> dry hopped it with whole cone in the fermenter and then realized that um, I mean I knew that they didn't have a man weight in the side when I did it but then <laughs> that dawned on me when I when I drained the beer out that I'd have to climb in through the top man weight which is only um, is, is it that one there yeah right yeah, which is like maybe 45 centimetres across at the top. So I have to like, climb onto the top of the tank, lower myself in, and then scoop all of the hops out Gee. into a bucket. Uh, needless to say, we don't, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, there was a definitely, there was a, there was a very big learning process. Um, I mean, the second beer I brewed on it was the um, Nelson Sovin 6.6% rye IPA, right. which, is rye IPA is not an easy sell. Yep, I've <laughs> been there. I am. Um, I used to. Oh, I say used to. I'd still brew it occasionally. Uh, 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 pretty much what you just described, but with Simcoe as well as Nelson uh, called Rye Joyce. It tasted amazing, but yeah, selling it. Yeah. It, it just I don't I don't I don't understand. I'm like, but this this is so tasty, uh, but it's. Won't sell, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the beer was great. I mean, it it was. It's now because I brewed it when I was on the small kit mm. and it went down well, which is why I brewed it on the big kit. But then obviously you've got ten times as much beer. And then, I mean, it it went down well and people enjoyed it so much so that I have brewed a, a one-off special for Sheffield Beer Week with Walkley Beer Co of the same beer. So it goes to show that it is it was a good beer and people enjoyed it. But yeah, just getting it getting it into pubs and bars and, and things was 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 tricky. Um, I think it's one of those beer styles that 
is like a brewer's beer, if you know what I mean. It is. It very much is. And, yeah. or, or like if you're really into like craft beer, then it's like whenever I see the word rye on something, I'm like, that one. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. The last time I was in The Crow um, with my friend and partner in crime, Sean Robertson, um, he was staying there and we, it was that point in the night where you go into all the imperial stuff and they had this imperial like rye wine and I was just like, well, I, I had two of them, <laughs> you know, but it, it was honestly, I can't even remember the brew, it was somewhere from Europe. It was the most incredible tasting thing I've ever had. I mean, Red Willow do an incredible rye, uh, rye beer that's mm. just, that's absolutely great. Yeah, it's not the, it's not the easiest, um, <laughs> the easiest sell, but it, sure we'll do it again at some point when, yeah. when I've forgotten um, yeah and then so that's 2021 so then things were opening up again although obviously no people everywhere was struggling and is still struggling um, and then I think last year 2022 our beers really improved through through the year um, and we did more more saisons and like some more unusual things and then Towards the end of last year, we started doing party guild stuff. Um, partly after going, we did a collab with Torside, which right. was absolutely great. Like I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big, big, big Torside fan. So it was really, it was really great to go and uh, to go and collab with them. Which was, it took it probably took me a whole day to pluck up the courage to email them right <laughs> to say can i come and watch you do a brew and they were very they were kind enough to say well, why don't we make it a collab um so we went and brewed a cascade olicana pale with them which was lovely um so we've only done two collabs so we did that one um and picked their brains about partigals and then we did a honey stout with little critters nice. um, in the run up to Christmas um, and I've got little critters coming back next week to do a return collab which um, is going to be a bit of a first for me it's going to be a thialized pale we're going to mash up it with whole cone uh, and then throw a lot of hops in um, the end of the boil and yeah, see what this, nice. see what this new snazzy yeast that everybody's talking about does. Which which yeast is this? Sorry, it's the WHC Hop Unlock. Right. Is it? Does it release styles or something? Or uh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. It'll be interesting to see what we get out. I've had, I've had a, f a few stylized pails. Um, True North did one, um, which was which was great. Um, and then I've had a couple of other ones. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what mm. what what happens. Yeah, nice. So I mean, just, let's just talk about cast beer a little bit, and and seeing as we start to talk about beer styles and and so on. Because um, I know we've had conversations before about um, like it, it's almost like there's there's in a lot of venues that sell um, like draft beer in particular, but this applies to bottle shops and so on. Like there's such a drive towards the the quote unquote big hitter breweries. And I, I always like my heart sinks a little bit at that because yeah, don't get me wrong, like there's some amazing beers being produced by these breweries, hence why they get stocks. But I I remember um it was just um 
don't tell Dominic Cummings and Matt Hancock, but it was just before the lockdown got released, um, the, whatever the last one was we went through. Yeah. Um, and it was my birthday, and I was like, I want to go to Whitby, it, even though nothing will be open or very little will be open. That's why I want to go, because there's been no one there, and lo and behold, there wasn't. And, it was, and you weren't really meant to... It was like, don't go between District 2 and District 3, like it was the Hunger Games or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and we were like, sack it, let's go. Um... And we had this great time, and the um, bottle shop in Whitby, uh, it's called the Green Dragon, yes, was open. Yes, I've, I've been in there, yeah. And it's a great little bottle shop, don't get me wrong, but the minute I walked through the door, I was like, oh, Abbeydale cans. <laughs> you know, and then, and then obviously they had all the supply cloud water and so on. Which, again, if you're in Whitby, which is, you know, it's not pop, it's got, not got that many breweries, it's got a brewery, I think. Yeah. Um, but it, I wouldn't say it was like a hot spot of craft beer in the UK. Um but my heart sank a little bit because I'm like, what else is from around here that I can mm. try? And I, I just, I, I feel like, and I'm not blowing smoke at your ass because I'm here and, and, and we're friends and stuff, but um, like, I know your beers are really tasty having drank them. And um, I feel a lot that there are a lot of breweries that get overlooked or can get overlooked by virtue of the fact that they're not, they, they don't have maybe the brand collateral that, you know, your hype breweries or, yeah. or just well-known breweries even. Yeah, I mean, get. yeah. Well, I, I appreciate saying the beer's nice. I mean, obviously I think they're nice, but yeah. I, 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 when people in the industry say that, they're, that they've enjoyed drinking one of my beers, it, it is, uh, you do, do really appreciate it. But I mean, Grizzly Grains as a brand is, isn't, we're not a, we're not a big hype brewery. It's not going to sell itself when you when you put it in a in a in a shop. But mm. I think once hopefully once people um, try it, they'll 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 enjoy them. And I mean, because of the some of the kit limitations I've got, I, I can't brew massive, great, hoppy double IPAs and and things. That's that's just not what we what we do. At least yep. to the people that, that do that. But um, my sort of because we're cask led a lot of what we do is is more sort of session strength and and then because it's in bottles as well that makes it that makes it extra hard to to sell because people are definitely drawn to cans cans are craft bottles are real ale oh it's, it's, it's so ridiculous because it's like yes cans are craft and bottles are real ale Unless you're the colonel, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and Torside they they bottle everything yeah, yeah, absolutely, with, with, yeah, uh, with great success. And so I mean, it, uh, yeah, it's a it's a funny one. There's the whole like craft, it's craft beer, but it's in a cask. No, it's just well, that's what know. we were saying before we hit record about England's green and pleasant land. And that comment I had um, yeah. saying, no, I didn't know craft cask was a thing. It's like well, it's not. It's just a beer I brewed that happens to be in a cask because it's. They asked me for some casks for a bit. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I love I love putting stuff in cask, and it's it's still a bit of a um, there's still areas of of the market that are like, oh, it's it's like verdant IPA yeast fermented hazy pale ale, but it's in a but it's in a cask, and but it it works. I mean, especially the the well, I'm of the view that almost everything. Is, is works in cask. It just tastes different. Yeah. I mean, except for maybe like kettle sours, probably don't yeah, work yeah, brilliantly okay, well yeah. in in cask. But I mean, because um, so I, I uh, sell 
uh, fairly regularly to, to Shakespeare's because Lucy that runs it is a is an absolute legend. Um, and I've got to put all sorts of things into cask. So saison, we did, we've done cask quince saison, which is is bonkers really, but it it works and it tastes very different to how the same beer in the keg mm. tastes. It's amazing how the, the difference in in the flavour between the two packagings. I, I wouldn't necessarily say one is better than the other. But it's just they're different, just, isn't it? They're, they're just different and. and I think that's yeah, that's that's the enjoyable thing. I mean, I I package stuff the same beer into. I don't brew for cask or brew for keg. I mean, if I do a more traditional sort of golden ale or or like UK hops pale, that they don't go in keg because people don't want to buy that sort mm. of beer in in keg um necessarily but like if it's a if it's a sort of more hot forwards more modern hazy pale then i'll i'll split it between cask and keg um and it's it's really interesting how the different flavors come through um between the two the two dispense methods um the, the the sparkler argument will rage until the sun explodes um but we all know sparklers are yeah, legit and uh, everything, them, everything of mine not. should be pulled through a sparkler, <laughs> really. Um, you should just like strap the attachment to the cask if it goes off further, <laughs> further south than Chesterfield. <laughs> I was talking to uh, Sean, who runs the Gardener's Rest, and he was saying that uh, he used to do relief work in pubs and he used to carry around his own sparklers. I know people that do, you know, <laughs> I, I, and, and when I saw it on Twitter recently and I was like, maybe I should do the same thing next time I go to London. Put my own. Excuse me. Would you mind pulling me a pint of that with this on? <laughs> what the yeah. fuck? Get out of it. <laughs> it's probably a good recipe for getting barred. Yeah, absolutely. If Johnny Garrett's listening to this, and I'm not sure if you'd listen to my podcast, but maybe that could be a craft beer channel thing. How many London pubs can I get barred from by asking them to put a sparkler on my cask of beer? <laughs> <laughs> it would be an interesting day out. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but then, I mean, with the sort of the traditional beers going into cask, we, we brew, uh, we did a mild, uh, can't remember when I brewed it now, December. I mean, really sensibly, I brought out an Imperial, because it was part of, gar- part of it was a party gar for an Imperial Stout, and really sensibly, I released the Imperial Stout in January, which... During Joe January, right? Yeah, which is <laughs> obviously, that's the ideal time to bring out Imperial Stouts. Um, but we kegged the mild and partly uh, because I wanted to do a couple but then also partly because I ran out of both uh, empty casks and bottles great so (laughs) has to go somewhere so I kegged uh, more of it Um, and I mean a rye IPA is a hard sell keg mild turns out that's that that is a hard sell as well um, <laughs> but it was so tasty you know like i was obviously a bit thrown when you were like oh i've got the mild on but it's in keg but i i loved it yeah i mean the casks and the bottles just flew out um because i mean they came out in december mm-hmm. um so they 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 sold really well but then yeah then the kegs are slower um but i thought i want to have a dark beer on uh, if I could only brew dark beers and rye beers, I'd be very, very happy. <laughs> um, so I thought, oh, I can have in the tap room, because we, 
so yesterday was the only the third opening of the of the tap room. So I thought I want to have a dark beer on. I'll, I know, I'll put the keg on on the on. I've got two keg lines. Put the keg on one keg line. I've got lost and grounded Hellas on the other keg line, and then two one or two pails on 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 the cask. And I've uh, sold more mild than I have lager, which I really didn't expect wow. to to do. Um, and it yeah, it work, works brilliantly as a sort of we market it a bit as like a a session stout or like if if people come in and, and they're not they're not sure I'm like well try try the try the mild if you've if you've had Guinness like this isn't Guinness it's not a Guinness it's not a beer that's chasing after Guinness's market but mm. it's it's in that bit of the beer beer sort of style um and it's very dark I think some dark, some milds that are coming out these days aren't really dark, but I do like a really yeah. dark, dark mild. So this is very, very dark, quite roasty. Um, it's got a fantastically full body, mm. partly because it's it's partigile, so it's a really big mash to get the the imperial stout out of it as well that we that we did. And there's no way I could brew the mild on its own it has to be done as the particle yeah. which is no bad thing because then you get an imperial stout you get an imperial stout as well <laughs> um so that's that yeah that's been a, a beer i've really enjoyed making and selling and it's the, i think the that that process of doing the the mild and the, the particle for the imperial stout and it's it just sort of that's why i got into brewing like yeah that was just the whole all of it was great like really enjoyed going and and having it on in in pubs um yeah just the whole the whole thing was was brilliant so it's definitely going to make a comeback um for anybody that that uh, follows um cask beer memes and username <laughs> with beer in it um it's called big dimples because of a uh, because of a meme Right, and then the imperial stout is called the biggest dimple, right. <laughs> partly so that in the middle we've got space to do a stout and call it bigger dimples. Oh, love it! <laughs> <laughs> that's the sort of that's that's about the the limit of our forward planning. Yeah, well, if you ever do like an ice distilled imperial stout, that's like eighteen percent. You could have it like the most massive dimple or something. massive dimples, massive dimples. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's it, those kind of mild beer styles. They're they're so interesting because it. it in in one's mind, you think, well, that's not going to sell very well because it's like really low ABV or whatever, and it's dark. But I remember at Sheffield Brewery, we um, it was right in the early days of me working there, and the directors wanted to bottle some of our beer, so we we had a mobile bottle company come in, and we did um, a contract brew for the Millionaires Arms. Uh, we did Seven Hills, which was our like. Um, Centennial and Chinook Pale Ale and then we were going to do Sheffield Porter um, but I'd, en I'd entered a version of Sheffield Porter into I think it was one of the CB competitions but it was a, it was basically one where I'd cast when I was casting it off put some in a homebrew bucket and pitched a white lab yeast it was like British ale yeast and it had this amazing flavour to it um, and it, it, it won whatever award in the category it was like gold in whatever category it was entered into so the director's like well we need to 
bottle that. And I was like, yeah, but it's this wet yeast and, you know, it doesn't quite taste the same with SO4, whichever strain I'd used. But at the time, Lalamand had just released this um, London Ale yeast. Mm. And I was like, well, that's got the same flavour profile. It's practically the same yeast. Let's use that. And I didn't realise, it's a high mash temperature. It was like 68C. But I didn't realise that this yeast didn't utilise multi-triose. Right. So I um, ended up with like 3.4%, effectively a mild. And I was like, you know, we tried all sorts to rouse the yeast and pitch some fresh yeast and nothing budged. So we had to like bottle it anyway. And I've just, and we ended up with so much of this beer as well. And I'm like, how on earth are we going to get through all this? But as far as small power was concerned, it was a bestseller. Yeah. Like the amount of bottles that um, local stockists got through of that beer, it was called Brunswick Black in the end. And it, th that beer helped to um, change how we branded the brewery as well. Like we sort of drew upon the history of the polishers that were made in the Sheffield Brewery and the, and the history of the built, building from the Victorian era. But I was just gobsmacked with how much of that beer we sold, mm. you know, and how popular it was considering. And it's and again, it, it picked up awards, even as a, the mild incantation of it. Um, it's, it's amazing, really, because it goes against your senses to think, or common logic, I should say, to say a beer like this is going to sell, you'll sell a lot of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, because everything, a majority of, of, uh, of what we package into is, is cast, sort of, Means that the most of the beers that are making are, um, are a sort of lower ABV. Mm. Generally, four point five is sort of the, the the strongest. But then, because um, because we've got like the ability to partigile and use the pilot kit and and do smaller runs of of things, then that tends to be where the the stronger stuff comes in. So the saisons are always about six. Six six point two, right? Which depends on the on the fruit, um, and then as well as the imperial stout in January, I also released a nine point three percent imperial saison, which January is also not. That's not when you should release imperial <laughs> saisons. I mean, really, I think everybody should drink imperial saisons. Well, I think in, you should in, release in, them all the time in so. January. Um, <laughs> so it was that was nice to do. So I think the, the imperial saison that's the strongest beer we've done to date, which nine point three. Um, I drank that bottle you gave me rather quickly. <laughs> it was it was very tasty. I, yeah, I I don't really know what I was expecting it to come out like. So that was Partigal off a, a pale ale brew. So I just added extra uh, wheat, extra mm. pale malt and and, and wheat um, in, into the mash. But because it's the first runnings, the colour that that it came out as is 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 brilliant. Right? Mm really sort of without it in front of me I can't remember what colour it is but sort of a deep amber yeah um, and then also because it was that first runnings as well the the, the normally the saison's finish at like 0 0.002 maybe but this mm. finished at 0 0.005 so it has got a little bit of something left left in it um so even with that really pale mash, like the the flavour that then comes through, and I mean, it it was sort of done as a bit of a celebration of the saisons we've done because there's no fruit in it. All the flavour is just big saison yeast flavour. Like we pitched pitched pretty warm nice. as well, like thirty degrees. Um, so yeah, I think we'll make a feature again. Hopefully, got a barrel incoming. Ooh. 
Exciting. Which will definitely have a Sayers on in it. Well, I was going to, I was going to round off the podcast by asking <clears throat> what's what's next for Crystal Grains then. So a barrel. Yep. And then hopefully another barrel. Oh, steady, steady on. <laughs> so I'd like to do a little bit of barrel stuff. Yeah. Um, the first beer that comes out in barrel will be called Barrel Age. Doesn't mean better. <laughs> um, we are doing another sourdough beer because the first one was really fun uh, and really interesting so working with a little bakery in Mearsbrook called I Said Bread uh, <laughs> which is the best, best bakery name so we're doing a sourdough beer with them they only use UK um, flowers in, in, the, in all their breads right. so uh, that pairs really nicely with the sort of thing we're doing um, and uh, the couple that run it are, are just lovely people so we've got that we've got pear saison got some Sheffield rhubarb saison in the pipeline we're planning some events in the tap room um, for sort of after the football season ends when hopefully we'll be opening sort of regularly like Friday, Saturday every fortnight or something like that mm. right? but do some do some events as well as that so um, the ones in the pipeline are seafood and saison pairing evening so sort of five plates of seafood paired with a different each one with a different nice. saison I'm working with a chef that, that really knows his seafood so I'm very I'm very excited about that um, uh, we have Piper's Artisan Sausages Sausage Rolls in the tap room so we'll have Nick down to do a barbecue at some point as well um, please let yeah. me know when that is <laughs> <laughs> the sausage rolls are just like oh so These good one, the ones we had uh, this this week were great as well because he, um, he, he, he his portions were a bit all over the place so some of them are enormous um, and they're the same price <laughs> as hey. they normally are so um, I, I didn't complain about about that at all because uh, yeah they, they are really I mean he's um, I think Pipers have got a bit of a name for themselves around Sheffield with the, with pubs and things because he's done stuff at Smod and Shakespeare's and, yeah um, yeah it, they're, they're great guys up there and it's it's really nice to have their have their sausage rolls are on, they the on ones the that do the Brockverse at Smodfest yeah yeah oh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, mate. Yeah. So it's <laughs> so good. It, yeah, it's great to do stuff to to do stuff with them. Um, and then I think yeah, more just more cask is is the is what we're doing. And uh, me plucking up the courage to email other breweries to uh, ask if they'd like to do a collab, uh, which I, as I really struggle with with sending out. Um, so sales is the bit I am by far the worst at. As Grizzly Grains is just me, so I'm doing I'm doing everything. I have a few friends help out uh, every now and again, and hopefully at some point I can grow enough to have some have some help if if the lovely people in the beer world keep keep buying the buying the beer. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm definitely not a natural sales person. Um, so that's been a that's been an interesting learning curve. Most brewers aren't, to be honest. No, no. Um, so yeah, I, there's there's a few there's a few breweries out there that I'd really really love to to do something with. Yeah. Right. Well, if you listen to this and you you, <laughs> you, you own a bottle shop or a bar, um, buy Grizzly Grains beer because it's really good. 
And if you're a brewery listening to this <laughs> and you want to invite Sam for a collab, which you um, definitely do because he's really... Come here and do do some do a sort of a nice normal beer for cask that goes through a sparkler and then partagile it and do something... There you go. Do something daft with fruit and saison yeast or... The taste of mead while you're at or, it. Yeah. Um, well, if, if anyone out there is, is, <laughs> is willing to um, put that invitation out there, then um, how can they get hold of you? Um, so we're on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Um, we don't have a website because uh, it's just me and that's on the long list of things to do. So yeah, just you can find Grizzly Grains on on all the, the normal social media places and yep. um, yeah, just just hit me up, pester me. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers.